we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Have you ever thought that you'd get a better medical exam by going to a vet? I'm Dr. Marilyn Singleton, and welcome to America Out Loud Pulse. Going to the doctor is a necessary inconvenience, or to some, a real pain in the neck when you're sick. Waiting sometimes weeks for an appointment adds to the irritation. Seeing a doctor can also be a pain in the wallet. Despite employers sponsoring most working Americans' health insurance in 2023, workers contributed $6,575 toward the cost of a family premium. That's $500 more than in 2022, and employers paid the rest. Many large employers try to save on costs by having on-site clinics, where employees can get blood tests and basic primary care needs. These clinics have reduced the use of the emergency room and improved the overall health of the workers. This tool is now being adopted by smaller employers. Workers can be seen at a primary care clinic located near the workplace for free versus an outside visit that has a copay. Another troubling issue with standard health insurance is the allegedly free wellness visit. Patients are often charged for any discussion that veers from a yes or no answer to screening questions. Real medicine, we all know, is not the check-the-box endeavor. Patients who prefer independent doctors have said what they think. 78% appreciate the more personal relationship. 60% trust these doctors more. 58% prefer to support locally owned businesses. And 57% say the quality of care is higher. Unfortunately, it's getting more difficult to find an independent doctor. Over the last several years, many physicians have either closed their private practice or started working for a healthcare system. But there's doctors out there who've ditched the insurance and are cash-based. One such model is called direct primary care. And for me, the key word is care. The physician's office is dedicated to patients, not health insurers. And the patient is not just a bean counter's data point. So tonight my guest will discuss her direct primary care practice and will delve into the particular relevance of a strong private patient-physician relationship as the world devolves into moral turmoil. My guest, Dr. Kimberly Corba, earned her medical degree from the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. She completed her rotating internship at Allentown Osteopathic Medical Center. After completing a year of physical medicine and rehabilitation residency at Temple, Dr. Corba then decided to pursue family practice and completed her residency at the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. 
After practicing in the Lehigh Valley for 15 years, Dr. Copa Corva opened the first direct primary care office in the Lehigh Valley. She still finds time, amazingly, to mentor medical students and volunteer in many community activities for school, youth sports, and church. Welcome to the show, Dr. Corva. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Marilyn. Well, let's just get started. <laughs> Excuse me. I'll, you made me. You made me have to clear my throat too. Oh well. I know these. You know, damp, <laughs> we, we got hit with all this dampness up here in Pennsylvania, uh, so my allergies are flaring up. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, I don't know, Doctor. Heal thyself. <laughs> let's just start with something simple. What made you want to become a doctor? Um, I. You know, I don't know. Um, that's a good question. I did know that I wanted to be a doctor or I wanted to go into healthcare. I knew I wanted to go into healthcare probably around sixth grade. And <clears throat> I think it was because our neighbor was an orthopedic surgeon and I used to babysit for his three kids. And I used to hear him on the phone with his patients. He was a single practitioner, opened his own practice, you know, back in the day when you could do that um, and hang a shingle and start a practice practice. Um, and I just listened to how he cared for his patients. He was a very caring orthopedic surgeon and they were from the Boston area. And um, I just, I was, I really enjoyed listening to how he cared for them. It wasn't really orthopedic surgery. It was just the art of, you know, the fact that he was get, performing medical care. So I would listen to him. And then I thought, you know, maybe his wife was a nurse. She didn't work anymore because they had three kids. And, uh, and um, I said, well, maybe I'll become a nurse. And he, the more he got to know, we got to know the families because we were next door neighbors. One day he pulled me aside. I think I was in eighth grade. And he said, why? And, and nothing against nurses at all. But he said, you're smart enough to go to medical school, Kim. Why don't you be a doctor? And it had nothing, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't down, you know, uh, denigrating nursing, but he was like, you're smart enough to go to med school. And I never even had thought of that. And so from that time on, I was laser focused on going to medical school. There was nothing else I wanted to do from that time on. Um, so that's kind of how it started. Plus my grand, my uh, dad's father was a physician. He was a general surgeon. And back in those days, he went to Hahnemann from... And, you know, God rest Hahnemann's soul. It's no longer it's one of it was one of the oldest medical schools in the country. And um, they closed a few years ago, unfortunately. But back in the day, he went from uh, attended from 1937 to 1941. And Hahnemann was homeopathic. That was their basis of education back then. I still have all a lot of his books from medical school. And they're really funny to read about how they were treating <laughs> certain things. But um he, he, back then, general surgeons did a lot of family practice. He died. My mom was three months pregnant with me when he died. So I, I didn't get to meet him, but my uncle and my dad would tell me he would make house calls for colds um, and other routine kind of primary care stuff. But I think that's what, gen, you know, gen, even though he was a general surgeon back in those days, the forties and fifties, they did a lot of primary care as well. So listening to those stories was also kind of sparked my interest. And um, yeah, so that's, that's pretty much, you know, here I am fast forward, what 40 something years. <laughs> and uh, 
and doing direct primary care. Um, and it's interesting because my grand, my uncle and my father would tell me my grandfather, when somebody couldn't pay him and they didn't really have health insurance back then, um, he would exchange services. Um, they told me he took some gentleman's gallbladder out and he couldn't pay him. So the gentleman was a painter. My grandfather said, okay, well then can you paint my house? And the gentleman painted his house. So they exchanged services that way. And that went on a lot. Well, I'll tell you, my father was the same way. I'll never forget. And it somehow it sticks in my mind because it reminded me of the beginning of the Mary Tyler Moore show when she's going shopping and she lifts up a package of hamburger and rolls her eyes and throws it back. That was when the price of meat had just shot up. Well, my father (laughs) had a patient, Mr. Salazar, who had a meat market. And Mr. Salazar Mm -hmm. would pay him in meat. And one day my mother was cooking some meat and she said, meat, meat, meat. I'm so sick of meat. Just give me a hot dog. And I had to laugh because people were just like, oh, please, I wish I could afford some meat. Oh, oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. And, you know, that uh, uh, to to segue into direct primary. Mary Care, I mean, on our discussion groups online, there's a lot of exchanging of services going on. So, you know, it's kind of interesting how it's come back full circle. And I, I've exchanged my medical services with for other services with patients. And, and that, you know, that's, that's the beauty of this. So uh, you're, you're able to do that. And, um, yeah, so the, the, all those stories, I, I often wonder what my grandfather would think of the state of medicine now. Oh, um, my goodness. He, if he was around, curling his toes. He's probably turning over in his grave. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's totally gotten away from being patient-centric, and that's what he did. He was patient-centric. He did what he had to. My dad said there was a lot of times where he went unpaid, and he just, oh, oh, this is really a very – interesting point to make i met one of his uh, classmates when i was applying to medical school who wrote a letter for me for to get into hahnemann and um this gentleman dr brown he told me we had a we spoke for like a whole afternoon because he wanted to get to know me before he wrote a letter and he told me when they graduated from medical school, they were told to expect to do 10 to 20% of their medical care as charity, that that is expected, um, charity care. And that's the way it was back then. But it was less expensive to practice medicine. So not getting paid for that 10 or 20% didn't affect your bottom line. And it was part of what you did. It was part of the ethical part of practicing. And they didn't gouge the other patients, but, you know, they got paid a fair. This was before Medicare and all of that stuff came into, you know, into our lives. Um, they got paid, a, a, you know, a fair wage and were able to make a good living and still provide that 10 to 20 percent of charity care to their to their patients. So I found that that's always been very interesting when I think about that. Well, actually, when you look at the prices, the very low prices that Medicaid, which is the insurance from the government for people who can't afford medical care, um, the prices are so low, it frankly might as well be charity. And I think a doctor, unfortunately, 
would be better off these days giving charity care and not getting paid at all than being so wrapped up with the government and their programs. Because if you don't charge the same price to everybody, it's considered fraud if you're signed up in a government program. And it takes that, oh, that human sense out of being a doctor that you know you know, the Joneses have fallen on hard times. So you're going to treat them a little differently financially, or maybe make a house call to them, whereas you might not for somebody else who's strong and sturdy and taking care of themselves. And they've erased that out of medicine. And that's the heart. That is, yeah. And I've seen, I've lived, I'm one of my generation or my the people who graduated around the time I did, we've seen that change. We've lived through it as you have. I think we're the youngest of the of the classes who graduated from medical school. We're the youngest portion to have lived through that. But I, I saw that stripped away slowly with all of the uh, regulations that started coming into medicine. And what really irritates me and what drove me to do direct primary care. What's good about having your independent practice? Uh, well, what's good about it is I don't participate with insurance anymore, and that's really the crux of direct primary care. I mean, the definition, the words of the, the, the name, the title of the practice, or the description of it, it speaks for itself. It's direct patient care. We don't have any third parties in the exam room with us. We don't have insurance companies to deal with. and pre I still do some pre-authorizations, but I don't need... there. There's no third party dictating what I have to order for a patient. Be, um, I can order based on my medical knowledge rather than whether the insurance will pay for it or not. Well, when we get back from the break, we're going to go into, well, there's one thing I want to go back to. I have to say, I want you to, to let people know what homeopathic medicine is. Not that that has anything to do with direct primary care, but you brought up that word and a lot of people don't know what that is. So the first thing sure. I'll, I'll ask you when we get back is what is homeopathic medicine? Then we'll flip back in to direct primary care and a full explanation of what it is. And we'll do that after the break. Right now, I just like to talk about my old buddy for this cold and flu season, Cofix RX. What Cofix RX is, it's a medicine, basically. It's a nasal spray. It has povidone iodine that was shown, it seems golly now, years ago when COVID first started, that it killed the COVID virus in your nose, as well as many other viruses and germs. And it also has xylitol and vitamin D. And these are just strong powerhouses against these germs. And you've got to think about using Cofix RX like an airbag in a car. You reduce the impact when a virus enters your nose. And most of these respiratory illnesses we get come through the nose. So you nip it in the bud before it has a chance to get down into your lungs. Lots of doctors and pharmacists recommend Cofix RX. And one of the things I love about it, it was invented in the USA and it's manufactured in the USA. 
It's sold health food stores, medical offices, pharmacies, and on our website, you can click on the button, read more about it, see if it's right for you. It's right for me, so hopefully you'll try it out. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix Rx. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix Rx is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. Dr. Korba, before the break, I kind of went off script for a minute and wanted to ask you, what is homeopathic medicine? <laughs> Not that that's what you practice, but you mentioned that that was in your grandfather's day. Yeah, you know, I had to look it up too, way, way back in the day. <laughs> um, home homeopathy is treating like with like, and apparently back, you know, in the 30s when they didn't have a lot of prescription medications they they were that was a big basis for treating treating medical issues so um treating like with like um so it it would um i guess the goal was to stimulate healing process uh, for diseases by administering things that would mimic the symptoms of those diseases in healthy people. Um, honestly, you could actually argue or debate that like the first inoculations, you know, smallpox given at um, Valley Forge, right? Um, during uh, the revolution was almost a homeopathic treatment. They were administering small doses of, of the virus to the soldiers 
as an inoculation to prevent the rest of the, the troops from being wiped out from that, you know, so that that's really what it is. And I found there is a, there's a product out there and I'm not, I'm not, I don't own it or I don't have any interest in it, but I found it very fascinating how it was developed. It's called cramp nine one one. And it was actually made by a pharmacist who's not far from me. And it's just topical copper and magnesium that you roll on to stop cramps. And apparently I spoke to the pharmacist. He went back into homeopathic journals and um, studies that were conducted on, on people and they base uh, uh, back at Hahnemann, they would just take um, elements and compound them and apply them to people's skin to see what happened. And through his research, he found that top topical copper and topical magnesium would um, help with cramping. So he, he he put them together in this product, and apparently, and I've wor- I've used it. It works, but that's an example of home homeopathy. Well, that's very interesting, and I'm sure some people have heard of it. You know, if you're thumbing through alternative medicine and whatnot, and uh, I'm sure there's something to be said. And this is one of the great things about medicine and having an open mind and be free to practice. As long as you don't hurt patients or do something that rips them off financially for something that you know is of no benefit, it's nice to be free to try something. And uh, if it's something that won't hurt them and it's keep them from having to take another pill, my goodness, we take so many pills, that uh, it's worth a try. So in- interesting to hear a bit about homeopathy. Well, mm-hmm. back, back to direct primary care. Let's start from the top. What is direct primary care? Direct primary care is an insurance-free model of medicine and it started really with the primary care physicians it is expanding into the specialties we um all of us generally opt out of all insurance carriers we no longer participate and it's a subscription based model so we charge an affordable usually monthly um people can pay you know quarterly or annually if they want but um a monthly subscription to um to access care in our office it's like joining netflix or costco um and they get unlimited amount of visits no co-pays most of us are the majority of us give half hour visits so my waiting room is never full because i'm never running behind and um and we also provide 24 7 access through text email phone calls after hours and our goal is to keep people as healthy as possible out of urgent care in the er because those guys are bogged down there 80% 80% of what goes into the ER can be taken care of by good access to primary care and let the ERs take care of the true emergencies. Um, we coordinate care with the specialists. I'm on staff at both hospitals. So it's not like I'm, you know, it's it's not a real super crazy fringe movement. I'm still on staff at both hospitals. One of the hospitals has their medical students rotating with me, just like I did when I took insurance. And uh, my patients can still use insurance for things like labs or imaging or specialists, but we also offer discounted fees for um, uh, for labs. I draw I draw them in house <clears throat> through LabCorp, 
And we also dispense, I dispense medications through my office, through a dispensary. So I order my uh, prescriptions at wholesale and I can give a bottle of uh, 10 milligrams of lisinopril, a 90, 90 count bottle for less than $5. So some patients don't even use their insurance for their prescriptions because it's even cheaper to get it through us. So we provide a lot of value added benefits for this you know, monthly subscription. People get it mixed up with... Um, concierge care and concierge definitely provides a great service to the people it serves but that typically is more metropolitan type of model of um, providing health care and they still usually bill insurance in addition to providing uh, to charging their um their 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 fee for access um and it's usually geared towards older people a little higher income level um, and they definitely pave the way for for direct primary care, but our fees are for we make them as affordable as possible to the general population. Well, what's uh, a typical setup as far as do you charge more to sick people or do you charge by the number of family members that join? Um, and everybody's different, um, and generally we charge per person. You, um, you can't, I do discount children if the whole family joins. Um, some people, I have some parents who just sign up their kids. And in that case, they pay $35 a month for their, for a child zero to 19. If the parents sign up, it's $20 a month <laughs> for ages zero to 19. Um, and, and you're usually, we're charging, it's usually age-based you know, like when you go to the the local amusement park, you know, it's cheaper for kids and more for adults. It's kind of uh, just like the movie theater, too. It's so our our pricing tiers are usually usually based on age. And we don't we don't discriminate based on um, the amount of medical issues they have. Uh, the only time. Um, I want, you know, I do a meet and greet. If there's something that the patient is expecting us to, you know, me to do as a primary care physician, board certified, and it's outside of my scope of care, in those situations, I'll say, I, I'm sorry, I can't provide what you're looking for. Um, like I had a, an elderly couple, the gentleman kept having melanomas cut off <laughs> at the dermatologist. Oh, and um, he wanted me to cut them off because they got tired of paying for the dermatologist. I said, I, I'm, I'm not, I can't do that. You know, you have to continue to see dermatology. I said, I'm happy to take care of your primary care issues, but I can't cut off all your melanomas. <laughs> So um, that wasn't a good fit because that's what their expectations were. So, but we don't discriminate or charge more based on health issues. Um, I have plenty of people with many, many chronic issues, diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, anxiety, depression, um, uh, you know, you name it. Um, and they don't pay any more than somebody the same age with two of those medical issues. So we don't, um, pre-existing conditions don't change what it costs for them. The only time it affects the, their ability to be a member is if it's outside of my scope of care. Well, this is good to know because I think a lot of people think, oh, well, I'm too sick to do something like that. They won't want me. I've got this, that, and the other wrong with me. But one of the things that I see that's so important about this model is that it coordinates 
all those problems together. And sometimes it seems what happens when you get good coordinated care like that. You might find that the patient's on too many medicines that cardiologists put them on this, pulmonologists put them on that, the endocrinologists put them on that. And then some of those drugs don't always mix and you get to be the person who sits there and sorts it all out, don't you? Oh, yes, yes. Yes, a lot of coordination of care goes on, and actually, it actually seems to have increased since the pandemic. And I just think it's because people were just overwhelmed um, with different things, and and some of the chronic care and follow ups fell through the cracks. So even yesterday, I had a patient in the office. He's a small business owner. Um, very busy, and he's got a large thyroid nodule that he was supposed to get evaluated as 2.5 centimeters on his last ultrasound, which was a year ago. And he never, he said he tried to make an appointment with the general surgeon, and they didn't, he, he couldn't get an appointment at an office close to where he lives, so he just didn't make the appointment. So while he was there yesterday, put on my little headphones, got my cell phone, and I called, I dialed up the surgeon's office while he was sitting there, and we made the appointment. <laughs> so um, that's the kind of stuff with a half-hour visit, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And, um, now, you know, now, you know, I'm worried about a two-and-a-half-centimeter thyroid nodule, and now I'll know that he's getting it checked, so... Well, these are the sorts of things that I think, you know, we were talking about the old days that patients expect out of their doctor and well, or they should expect. But I think part of this uh, having these corporations and seven minute visits and all, it's almost like they're training patients out of wanting that sort of time with the doctor and individualized care. Uh, and, and, and that's, it it just bothers me. I've been in medicine well, so long to see that kind of change. Well, you know what else really drove me to do DPC? And this, you know, and I was in private practice um, for 13 years before I switched to DPC. It became, uh, I had to see patients faster and shorter visits to meet my overhead because uh, they, you know, they kept interfering, uh, cutting costs. And, and I'm like, who's, who? who's making the money off of this, this whole process when I can't see a patient for half an hour if I want to, or what really irritated me is these people were taking time off from work, my patients to come in or time out of their day. It doesn't even matter if it's a work day or not. And, and because I had to see patients so fast, I was always running behind. My waiting room was always full and and don't think that it, it definitely irritates the doctor on the other end. I know the patients get irritated, but we don't like it either. We don't like looking out there and seeing a full waiting room because it, we know that it's not fair um, and that we have, you know, a lot of people who are going to be irritated. We don't like it like that. And so I, you know, somebody would come in with um, for a sinus infection, but they'd have three other problems they wanted to discuss. And you'd have to say, sorry, I can only discuss one problem today. Or they were here for a physical, they were in the office for a physical and they say, oh, by the way, can I discuss my chest pain that I'm having? I've been having for two months. Well, you, the insurance won't, wouldn't pay for an acute visit with a physical. So you'd have to say, okay, we'll do the f- chest pain, but you're going to have to come back for the physical. Why couldn't I address all of them in one visit? 
That well, that's one of the silliest things about insurance. And, and this has come up with these wellness visits. Uh, I read something recently about a woman where on the checkoff list, they asked, are you feeling depressed? And I guess she answered yes. And so she wanted to discuss her reasoning with the doctor. And suddenly she got this huge bill for the free quote unquote wellness visit because they discuss something. Well, it seems kind of silly if you check the box and say yes, that should mean you should get to discuss it right there on the spot, but not so for the insurance companies. Oh, I know. Why ask about it and screen for it if you can't address it at the visit? Yeah, um, it's dumb. <laughs> yep. So, you know, these people are paying a copay. And I wrote an article way back about opportunity costs. And there was a study out of Houston about um, medical uh, visits. And, um, uh, I think it was out of Houston, or it might have been, uh, I'll have to find it and send it to you. They did a study on opportunity costs lost when you go to the doctor. And the amount of hours of opportunity cost losses with driving to the doctor, waiting in the waiting room, waiting in the exam room for the doctor to come. Then you have 10 minutes with the doctor, then leaving and having to go to the pharmacy to get your prescription. The amount of opportunity cost losses was tremendous. Um, and that's what that's that's what people are doing when they have to come back to re to address an issue that couldn't have been addressed at the first visit. There's opportunity loss, and then there's another copay involved with that. And what if they have a high deductible? Then that second visit is going to their deductible. It's just making it hard. People, it's no wonder people don't go to the doctor as much as they should. Well, that is so important, and I'm glad you addressed the opportunity costs for the patient. I think about a mother who has to go out and get a babysitter, and um, people don't think about that and all the time involved, and especially if you don't have a car and have to take the bus or get an right. uh, Uber yeah. and all this sort of stuff, that it adds to the cost. So going back and forth twice, it's more than just the cost of the doctor visit. It's everything else that goes along with it. Well, yep. after the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about kind of a typical visit and things that you can go into that maybe don't happen in these seven-minute visits, like discussing somebody's mental health, family situation, and the various, as they call them, social determinants of health that people are discussing now. And I think good doctors have always talked about that. And I think the primary care, a direct primary care model certainly allows opportunity to discuss the whole patient. So we'll talk about that after the break. I'd just like to thank everyone for listening to America Out Loud Pulse. As you know, we are always a beat ahead. We've got free apps on Apple, Android, and Alexa, and you can hear us every weekday at 5 p.m. and on iHeartRadio at 8 a.m. the next morning. Remember, all shows go direct to podcast in 24 hours. On the episodes are on lots of podcast networks, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iHeart. Make it easy. Bookmark americaoutloud.news forward slash pulse. One of my favorite things about the show is that, hey, you won't get bored. We've got a different doctor on every night. I'm on on Mondays, Dr. Marilyn Singleton. 
Tuesdays, we've got Dr. Jordan Vaughn and Dr. Stuart Tankersley. Wednesdays, we have Dr. Peter McCulloch. Thursday, Dr. Peter Bregan and Ginger Ross Bregan. And Fridays with Dr. Harvey Reich. And if that's not enough for you, on Mondays at 10, we've got Nurses Out Loud. And this is medicine, politics, sometimes more medicine, sometimes more politics, but always interesting information for you. So thanks again for listening. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. The pandemic may be over for some. But millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution. The miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. 
Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. Before the break, I was asking you about kind of a typical visit. Pretend that, you know, a patient just came in and what do you learn about them? And it seems like with a half hour, you have more time to learn about their family situation and all that sort of thing. So what's it like being in your office? Um, very well. And, and, and it definitely is a time-related issue you have to have time to sit down and talk to them and and you know they're not always ready to share all of the intimate details of whatever's going on in their family they've got to get to know you too um and that takes that again it takes time and you have to build up that trust relationship and sometimes that takes several visits to do that um and so, you know, once that happens, then you can really get into the nitty gritty. And there's actually a little counseling that goes on um, and they learn to trust you and they ask your opinion. And um, that's what that's what family practice is. I mean, that's how my family practice doctor was. You know, it's not this treat and street thing that's happening <laughs> so much now. You, you The patients aren't going to, you know divulge all of their family secrets in a 10 minute visit they've got to know that they can trust you and that you're going to provide them with some advice that they might be able to use or just listen to them sometimes they just want to be listened to i think that's so important uh so many times patients will say something and they've never told it to anybody else whether it's a doctor or not and mainly because they haven't had that time to get to know you and to feel like whatever is said between those walls is between you and the patient and so many times patients think because the employer is paying for the insurance the employer can get the records and this is a little scary and and I'll ask you some of the law on this because I know you're a HIPAA qualified person too, that they're worried that other people will see these records. So they won't tell you. I remember uh, during the 80s when all the people were using cocaine, you know, the beautiful people. And, uh, and it's back when we took notes in a chart, but I put the chart down and say, I just really need to know if you use drugs. I'm going to put you to sleep. And if you use drugs, it's really going to change things and you could die. I really had to scare them into telling the truth and let them know I'm not going to write it down, <laughs> but I need <laughs> to know. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't reveal that they use drugs or, you know, whatever, have some sort of unhealthy behavior because they're afraid it it's going to get transmitted to their employer or someone else that they don't even know, some government agency or whatever. What What's the privacy situation in in your setup and, and in HIPAA in general? Well, um, you know, privacy was an issue before HIPAA. Uh, before HIPAA ever came around, we were taught, you know, 
the, the patients had privacy rights. Then HIPAA came and high tech and all of that because of the advent of the electronic medical record. Um, so the privacy is definitely still an issue and always has and always will be. Um, our electronic records are not shared unless the patient tells us to share them. Um, and of course we have to fight, you know, th there's a lot of debate as to whether we're covered entities because we don't participate with Medicare. Um, most of the experts say we should, you know, still have our IT security and follow privacy and security standards um, under HIPAA and high tech, just because we're, you know, we can be emailing or faxing um, patient information and personal information, which is, you know, that's the big treasure hunt for, for the hackers. It's, you know, the personal information and medical offices, especially small ones are low hanging fruit. They love to hit us because they know that we don't have the resources that the big hospitals do to have all of our security, um, in line. So, you know, most of the experts say we should, should still pay attention to all of these things, even if you want to debate whether we're a covered entity or not. Um, so most of us, yeah, are very, you know, working, we kind of do it on our own on a smaller scale. I have an IT company that I contract with that, you know, provides my firewalls and my antivirus updates and my scans and my, you know, ongoing education and all of that. Some offices do it on their own. Um, I'm older, so I'm not as tech savvy. <laughs> as the younger kids. Um, so I'd, I'm, I'd rather pay somebody else to do it um, for me. But um, so we do, we do still, you know, um, follow those things and should. And as far as the privacy goes, mental health issues, um, you, you know, there's privacy um, safeguards for patients uh, regarding mental health and sexual, you know, anything, anything that's related to sexually transmitted diseases, sexual history, and even kids, you know, adolescents and kids, people under 18 have those rights too. So um, they do, patients do like the privacy part, but I, I can tell you that um, if I refer somebody, like I just had to call a cardiologist at Penn, yesterday who takes care of a very complex cardiology patient and you know i'm faxing down my last progress note in the labs we're discussing on this patient that kind of stuff you know we share openly and um with co consultants and the patients are are okay with that now that that progress note didn't include any kind of mental health issues or wouldn't if they were there um unless the patient consents to it so um you know, we still, and it's funny because I have access to, to Epic from both hospital systems where I'm on staff and I can upload any additional information on the patient from my EHR into Epic as a document. I don't do that. What, what is, what is Epic? Epic is uh, one of the huge electronic medical records that the big health systems use. And it's really geared towards data collection. Okay. And so when, when Epic collects that data, is patient are patients' names on there? They're not supposed to be. It's supposed to be de-identified. That's part of HIPAA. If there's any kind of data collection going on for um, the uh, process of billing or our data research, that information is supposed to be de-identified. But how do we know? You know, how do patients know you, that that's happening? You don't know. 
And that's right. I mean, and I don't think you're a weird, paranoid conspiracy theorist if you're worried about your name being out there or enough data on there that they can tell exactly who you are anyway, whether your name's on there or not. Oh, I know. I know. Um, and I know we have to share the data. You know, it makes it more it makes it more um, efficient if everybody has the patient's data. But this is where I, I this is like my pipe dream. <laughs> I wish we all had our own little account in the cloud, some um, private, you know, blockchain maybe type thing where we had a little we, we knew our password or a pass, you know, it was, we carried a little um, a token that would change the password every five minutes. And if I was in England or Ireland, you know, on a vacation and I broke my ankle and I had to go to an ER in, in another country, I could just give them my password and they'd open my, my cloud-based electronic health record, fix my broken leg close the account and I come back to to the United States to follow up with the orthopedic surgeon, give them the, the code, they would open my account and they would close it when it was done. Like that's privacy. And if patients wanted to share their data, if, if, if companies like Epic and everybody else wanted to share their data, the patient could decide on their own if they wanted to sell their data to the companies like Epic or an insurance company who was trying to mine data. Because um, ultimately, they're, the, those companies are making money off of the data analysis and the data collection in an effort to contain costs and maximize profits. So why 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 are they collecting our data and making money off of it? I think we should be in charge of our own data and have the decision whether we sell it to those companies or not. Um, and and so you've got to have personal. You have to have personal access and protection of your own electronic health records. Um, so that's just like kind of a pipe dream of mine that we all have eventually our own little, you know, cloud-based accounts that nobody else can access without our permission. But well, that would certainly be ideal. And I think the the thing that's quite important is being able to have that data with you when you do travel or go someplace, even within the United States, not even a foreign country. And God forbid you're in an auto accident or something where you're unconscious. And so how will they know what medicine do you take and and all this type of thing? And believe me, working in ERs uh, during residency and stuff, that that was your worst nightmare. Somebody coming in and couldn't tell you any past medical history. And there's so many things that can be wrong with somebody that would make it where you wouldn't give them a certain medicine or you'd have to be more wary during surgery. There's all these things that would be great if you could pop the person's name in there and then know everything about them. But of course, as we know, the more that's out there, the more that can get hacked as well. So this is true. This is true. You know, and I think back, Marilyn, to pay, like when I opened my my insurance based practice before I went to direct primary care, I still had paper charts. And I think back to how we functioned with paper charts, and we functioned okay. 
Um, if somebody, if I sent somebody to the ER, I called the ER. And by the way, I still do that now in direct primary care. And I actually was at a dinner with Pennsylvania Medical Society a couple of weeks ago with two ER doctors. One was a pediatric ER doctor. And I said, do you guys mind when I call and tell you a patient's coming? And I, I fax you their, you know, their past medical history, their med list and their allergies. And I give you the reason why. They said, we love it. We wish more doctors would do that. Because we don't know why the patients are coming in. That's what we did when we had paper charts. We picked up the phone and called the ER doctor and said, I'm sending Mrs. Smith in with abdominal pain. This is what I think is going on. Can you, you know, just to give you a little heads up. That's what well, we did with paper charts. We did that with paper charts. But now well, that I wish people would, would do that yeah. now. And it's interesting because it's not only in medicine, it's in real life social life. I, you know, I hate to say, oh, why yeah, does anybody yeah. pick up the telephone anymore? I mean, texting is nice and it's quick and convenient. And if you're in a meeting, you can text and, you know, secretly under the table, you can text somebody. But uh, there's oh, something. My about- kids. <laughs> I, I, my kids. Do, my son will call more than daughter. She's younger. But she, she'll be like, uh, she, yeah, to, she'd rather text me than pick up the phone and hear my voice. Yeah, it's so funny. So, <laughs> but I, you know, and you think as with doctors, we used to always call people and tell them what was wrong with the patient and remember so and so's husband just died two days ago. So keep that in mind. And, you know, those little things that don't come across when there's some sort of faxed record or you just tell the patient to go to the ER with a note and then they just show up and what, what a mess things have become. We have about a a minute or two and just give me your ideal doctor health system. What should the ideal health system be? You got two minutes to tell me. That's a loaded question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would like, I think, taking the third party out of the exam room, all exam rooms, not just primary care, as much as possible, and going back to the model where we had uh, catastrophic major medical health insurance would solve a lot of problems. Um, just having health insurance for the catastrophic issues. Um, you could buy riders for specific issues, just like you do with your homeowners uh, or your car insurance. And I think that would solve a lot of the problems and take a lot of the disincentives um, for providing good medical care out of out of the mix. And it would, um, I think, free the doctors up to do what's right. Um, I think transparency of cost um, all around everywhere would be ideal as well and help people shop for their um, for the the best care they could for the best price. So I think transparency and 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 a whole overhaul of the insurance industry and only insuring the major stuff rather than primary care to the minor stuff um, would be a good step. Um, I'd also, you know, that would disincentivize the electronic health, the electronic medical records from data mining too, and requiring the doctors to click the boxes for the data mining because that interferes with the patient care. But that all ties into the insurance industry, and therefore, going back to a major medical model would take away the need to check those boxes. 
Um, if healthcare was more affordable and the prices were transparent, which would, would create competition and drive down the prices, then we wouldn't have to click boxes in order for the insurance to try and maximize profits and decrease costs. So you see how it's all connected. That, that was that's a, in a quick nutshell. Those were the two. Those are the two biggest things I think. Okay. Well, Dr. Corba, thank you so much for letting us know about direct primary care, your thoughts about what an ideal health system would be, and so much more that we talked about. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Please come back again. Thank you for the opportunity, Marilyn. I'd love to be back whenever you're ready. <laughs> okay. Thank you. And thank you. Thank Happy Thank Thanksgiving, everybody. <laughs> Thank you for listening to America Out Loud Pulse. It's always a pleasure to know you're out there hearing all our information we have to give about medicine and who knows what else. And remember, if you have any questions, you can always email. The little email spot is right before the title or right under the title of the show. First names are fine, and we'll get an answer back to you. We have another feature, AmericaOutloud.shop, which has all sorts of things. In fact, it has Cofix RX, other products from the wellness company, and a great bookstore. Got the books from our guests and other books of interest. And we're so simple here. If you put in a code out loud, you get a discount on these items. So... As I always say, whether you agree with what you've heard or have other opinions, please share the show. Thanks again for listening. And until next week, say it loud. I'm free and I'm proud.